0: The most annoying sound in the world. Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill. And I'm joined here today with Connor.
1: Yo, no Steve.
0: I think he's on some kind of church retreat or something. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the date today is July 29th, 2019. Have you encountered anything new this week, Connor?
1: Uh, it's a couple weeks old, but I just stumbled upon the new "Prophets of Rage track made with hate uh. from... Uh, you know the supergroup with Rage Against I'd, the Machine, Audio Slave members and then uh Be Real from Cypress Hill, Chuck D from Public Enemy.
0: You showed me that song. I really 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 liked it. I yeah. thought I thought it was cool. They're and good. The video was cool too. It was like cartoony and shit, but it was like it was like aggressive. Yeah. It had the ability to be way more aggressive than what it was, but I thought it was pretty cool. And you know what I found interesting too? It only has 108,000 views on YouTube.
1: Yeah, I mean, for a band like that, that's probably pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel I, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't really know like how giant their fan base really is, but I feel like between you know the suit the you know the bands that they all came from and the super group, it should have been a little bit higher. But I mean, it's only a couple weeks old; it still has time.
1: Yeah, I'm waiting. I'm hoping they drop another album, and this is just like the first track from it.
0: Yeah, I mean that would be awesome. I mean, everything they put out was pretty cool so far. And they're live, like the whole thing, like their whole live show is awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 definitely catching them live next time they come Oh on, absolutely.
0: Uh, I'll I'll be there. Maybe, you know, some free tickets, Mr. Tomarella. Yeah. <laughs> on this day in music history
1: 1967 the doors light my fire hits number one for the first of three weeks in the u.s it is then knocked off by the beatles hit all you need is love
0: wish steve was here for some uh doors commentary right here about how great light my fire was
1: yeah that's that's uh one of my least favorite doors singles yeah me too it's Uh, just one
0: of those songs dude you just overheard it
1: yeah I don't know. It just even when I was a kid, that one never really got me. When nah, I was a nah. kid, I liked like uh, Riders on the Storm and like LA Riders Woman. Um, Peace Frog.
0: Come on, baby, light my fire. I'm just, I don't know. Not
1: um nineteen seventy, the Rolling Stones contract with DECA expires and the group takes the opportunity to split with their notorious manager Alan Klein. Delivering one more song to the label to fulfill its obligation, the famously unreleasable Cocksucker Blues, a.k.a. Schoolboy Blues. They also begin the process of forming their own label, Rolling Stones Records, which features the now iconic Tongue and Lips logo. That's pretty cool. I mean, I think that they kind of like set in
0: stone or, you know, they kind of put the motions into place where, you know, a band of their stature, like you can start your own label
1: yeah and they got energized after this um they they put out some of their best stuff in the early 70s yeah like uh sticky fingers Mm -hmm. yeah that's one of my favorite rolling stones albums can't you hear me knocking that's like my favorite song by them
0: when was some girls released that was in the late 70s oh okay
1: late 70s okay that was like maybe 76 or 77 or something i i like that album probably the most Yeah, that's that's got like Beast of Burden and Miss You and Shattered. Yeah, I think we talked about that, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, 1973, Led Zeppelin has approximately $180,000 stolen from their safe at the Drake Hotel after a show at Madison Square Garden, an event chronicled in their famous concert documentary, The Song Remains the Same.
0: I wouldn't see that. I never saw Song Remains the
1: Same. I've I've seen it. It's it's a good... Is it? Yeah, it's a good uh, music piece of viewing i wonder what the one
0: hundred eighty thousand dollars was you think that was their payout for the show or you think that was just like their like
1: petty cash um could have been both could have been payouts from shows and money the label gave them like almost
0: i wonder how much how much like uh, at that point in time in 73 what
1: led zeppelin would have made they were probably trying to not pay taxes on all of it so they had it in cash yeah that's probably true too
0: hey you can't be too safe here. It Doesn't matter who you are.
1: Nineteen seventy four, Cass Elliott of the Mamas and Papas dies of a heart attack in London, England, at age thirty two. I didn't know they had a uh, a, a member of that perished that young.
0: No, I th- this is actually the first I'm hearing of this too. I, yeah, I think it's Mama Cass, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was never a giant Mamas and Papas fans though. Nah, me either. Like I like the California Dreaming song fine, but Oh yeah. Um I never got it. into them. Yeah. Um Nineteen Seventy Nine, Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker conclude their lawsuit tour with a show at the Universal Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles. Petty embarked on the tour to raise money for his legal battles with MCA Records.
0: Huh. What well, what was out in seventy nine from Tom Petty? Well, Uh, obviously,
1: it wasn't, like,
0: you know, uh, American Girls or something like that.
1: First, it might have been that one. That was from, like, maybe 78. Really? 77. Yeah.
0: I I never got really big into Tom Petty
1: at all. I have his greatest hits. That's fine for for me. Um, I think
0: that was in my, when we bought the CRV. Yeah. I think that was in the CD player.
1: Tom Petty's greatest hits. (laughs) Yeah. You got rid of it? It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like Breakdown a lot. That's a good song.
0: Breakdown's good, yeah. he's another one of those artists dude where you hear them all the time like like i can't hear like american girl or um won't back down it's just like are you kidding me i hear it at least twice a day
1: i actually like won't back down too. that one that one doesn't bother me yeah (laughs) i heard a really good cover of it recently too i forget what the name of the girl was that did it but it was like it kind of gave me like a renewed faith in that song oh really yeah that's cool Um nineteen ninety. Elton John can't find a facility in Los Angeles that will treat both his bulimia and drug and alcohol addictions, so he checks into the Parkside Lutheran Hospital in Chicago for rehab. He stays for six weeks, then takes a year off from touring and recording. Well this was the nineties, like he was kinda like done. Yeah, he was past his like prime. Yeah, exactly. I mean just waiting around for the circle of life.
0: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Well, the, what was that? Four years later, the yeah, Lion King, King came out in Yeah. I mean, I think that that probably helped him out. I, I do want to see that movie, the rocket man. The, yeah. The well, and he did movie. um
1: candle in the wind was an older song too, oh, yeah. but in 1997, he like redid it. When Princess Diana died, and then that was one of the biggest hits of oh, all time, shit. and it was like 20 years after the song came out. I
0: enjoy Elton John, dude. I've always liked ah, his yeah, music.
1: He's, he's his good stuff is amazing. He's, like like yeah. we
0: always talk about like national treasures and stuff. Elton John like falls into that category too. Oh, yeah, fucking like like he's cat. Yeah, like, dude, he's like, he's like history. Like, you know, you can't say that you're even a casual music fan and not like an Elton John song. John
1: Lennon hadn't had a number one solo hit for the first five or six years after the Beatles broke up. Oh, really? He was the only Beatle that hadn't had a number one hit. Oh, shit. And then he did Whatever Gets You Through the Night with Elton John, and it like shot right to number one. Well, at that point in time, Elton John was huge. Elton John was way bigger than in exactly yeah, that's crazy, but it, it's just funny to think that at one point John Lennon needed Elton John <laughs> to scoot him up the charts <laughs> to the top. that's insane in two thousand five, an anonymous bidder pays one million dollars for the original handwritten lyrics to the Beatles. All You Need is Love at the Hippodrome nightclub in London that's crazy i I wonder who wrote the lyrics. Somewhere, somewhere else, the handwritten lyrics to "Light My Fire" were also being sold.
0: <laughs> like, uh well, who who was the main lyricist in the Beatles? It, it was Lennon and McCartney. Were a duo, yeah, right? They, they, yeah, there was no main. Like, yeah. it could have been either or, or even both of them. For that fact,
1: well, even even George had plenty of hits. Oh yeah, that's true. Songs. That's pretty cool, though. Not I mean, not not nearly as many like. uh a tax man was George Harrison. Um, that was like his first big one. Within You Without You from Sergeant Pepper. And then he had a bunch of shit on the White Album that I can't remember. While My Guitar Gently Weeps being the big yep. one. And then... That went out you know, being covered by like everybody. Yeah, a lot of people... I forget who it was, but someone used to joke... That something from Abbey Road was the best Lennon. I think it was Elvis Costello used to joke that that was the best Lennon McCartney song, and it was written by <laughs> George Harrison. He's, he was like,
0: you know, like the unsung hero almost, you know, because everyone was always focused on Lennon and McCartney. Well,
1: he actually had his own style of guitar. Yeah. Paul McCartney and John Lennon kind of like finished writing the book on rock and roll standard guitar, and George mm-hmm. Harrison kind of like Dude, he, like knew his the,
0: guitar work is good.
1: Yeah, he's not like the chord wizard that mm. um, John no, and Paul no. were. He's more like a uh, he can do whatever he needs to do with the guitar, and not have to think about it. Yeah, kind of guy.
0: He's just one of you know. He's just one of those like able to play guys and Naturally, just doesn't think about he was, it.
1: I feel like as far as just like finger picking and stuff, he was yeah. like the most talented at, at that kind of stuff. Um. Two thousand eleven at a Dallas concert, Kings of Leon frontman Caleb Follow leaves the stage after complaining about the heat. He never returns and the band cancels the rest of their tour. The incident is officially blamed on dehydration, but Caleb's brother and bassist Jared later tweets These are problems in our band there are problems in our band bigger than not drinking enough Gatorade.
0: How do you feel about Kings of Leon?
1: Uh, I think they imploded kind of. Yeah, I think well that, I
0: mean like as a band. Like did you like their music? Um, I like them when they first came out.
1: I've never listened to the first album, Youth and Young Manhood. I've heard it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I like their second album, Aha Shake Heartbreak. Yeah. Um the next one after that, because of the times, is probably their best. And then they got the big album after that, Only by the Night mm-hmm. with uh Sex on Fire and You Somebody and all those songs.
0: I enjoy their music. I, I think they're a pretty good band.
1: Yeah, I thought. I thought that album was pretty good for like the fact that there hadn't really been a big rock album like that. Yeah, in a bit at that time,
0: they were destined to be like almost like Foo Fighters big, you know. And
1: they could have a big comeback, but they they're like so like they had like two or three top ten singles off that album, mm-hmm. like big big songs for you a rock somebody. Band. Yeah, sex on fire that was in the top five. I forget um, what
0: the other there, there's a third one too, and I completely forget what it is.
1: Notion and then closer. There was yeah. a, there was a bunch of songs. Crawl. Yeah. Um. And then uh, they their first single off their next album, Radioactive, which I. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that was a leftover. Like it was gonna be on only by the night. Oh shit! Ain't so that like, something. their next album was like not as well. It was called "Come Around Sundown," and it it, it kind of dropped the ball a little bit. I feel like a lot of fans were underwhelmed with it. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. They
0: they just they had this giant giant like thing above them, dude. Where they they. They were on track to be probably one of the biggest bands ever.
1: They had another, I forget what it's called, but they had another album like a couple years ago that had that song Temple on it. That was a good song. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the, the first single, that was like the second single or something, but the first single on it was pretty good too, but... It's like if you don't go to Target or whatever while well, the yeah, album exactly. is like three weeks old, then you you just miss it. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you don't do Spotify or whatever. It kind of sucks. Um, 2015, the Eagles play their last concert with Glenn Frey. The show takes place in Bossier City, Louisiana, the final date of their History of the Eagles tour. The set features 27 songs and two encores closing with Desperado. Founding member Fry dies six months later. The band continues on with his son Deacon and his steed.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, was never
1: a Giant Eagles fan.
0: Nah, me either. I mean, I, I like Desperado, Hotel Hotel California. Not a fan. I like the guitar work. I actually like that ending solo in Hotel California. I thought the solo was really good. But
1: like, I, I remember, was... like, I wanted to like the Eagles when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I used to see the Hell Freezes Over album shit everywhere. Yeah. And I was interested, and then I listened to it, and I was like, this is not for me. And I just <laughs> never liked the Eagles after that. It's just, I don't know. that
0: it, I'm not going to say they're like a band like the Beatles or whatever that, you know, like as a casual music fan, you should know and like them. But I I think the couple songs they did have that, you know, that are like huge, like Desperado or Hotel California. I think I think they're pretty decent songs. Like like I, like you just yeah, said, well I'm not a giant together. fan of them, but it is what it is. Not a thing for everybody.
1: Yeah. Music
0: news. Today in music news, we have Snow Patrol's "Chasing Cars" named the most played song on British radio this century. That's kind of crazy, considering the fact of our movie recommendation from last week oasis
1: oh yeah um yeah well oasis got they're they're huge in britain but they haven't had any hits in the 21st century (laughs) really
0: um it's saying snow patrol's 2006 ballad chasing cars has been named the most played song of the 21st century by the british music licensing company ppl the track which reached number six on the uk official singles chart stayed in the top 75 for 94 weeks and that was the year's 14th best-selling single in the UK. PPL also noted that it was the last song performed by the long-running BBC music series Top of the Pops in July 2006. Uh, the track, which which stayed on the British charts for more than three years, beat out such other mega-singles as the number 2 Black Eyed Peas, I Got a Feeling and Pharrell's Happy. Chasing Cars appeared on Snow Patrol's fourth album, Open o- or Eyes Open, PPL's data tracks, all recordings played by the radio and TV broadcasters. That's crazy, because Happy was a huge song when that came out.
1: I think Snow Patrol is like British or Irish. um, Because this is like unfathomable in America. For Snow Patrol to be the most played (laughs) song of the decade. Well,
0: I mean, what would that be the equivalent to in America? Like Michael Jackson's Thriller?
1: Uh, It's like the equivalent of like... Such great heights by like Postal Service if it got played like fifty million times more. Yeah. <laughs> I actually i i do like Postal Service. Yeah, I mean they're good. I, they I did one album. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. I think it's the it's either the best or the second best selling album on sub pop. It's either that or Bleach. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. And then such great heights is definitely the best selling song. That's crazy. Yeah. Hmm.
0: <laughs> Um, another thing we got here in music news is something that's actually pretty, pretty cool and inspiring. Um, the ghost inside play their first show since their 2015 bus accident. Um, the ghost inside shared thanks for fans following their only, their, their only first performance back since the November, 2015 bus crash that claimed the lives of two drivers and seriously injured band members and crew. I mean, you, you've, have you ever heard of ghost inside? Nah. They're, they're like a metalcore band, but um, this bus accident dude was insane. Like, I think it killed the driver. The drummer lost his leg, lost his right leg. Um, I think the the singer lost half of his foot. Like, it was like crazy. It was a bad accident. And um, I actually saw the the show on YouTube because I was in, I was interested to see what it was going to be like. And um, as I started diving deeper, I found um, the drummer dude has this like setup to where. Like obviously he plays like double bass and shit, so his left leg's fine. His right leg has like this it's like a stool with like a cushion on top and like his like thigh like hits the yeah. right beater. Dude, it's like it's crazy shit to watch this. And uh we're you know, we're happy that they're able to play again. Um, it's saying the special comeback show first uh, first announced earlier this year, happened July thirteenth. At the Shrine in Los Angeles, it was the first time SoCal Metalcore act of taking the stage since the accident that caused drummer uh, Andrew Takaizik to lose his right leg. An issue the musician overcame Saturday with the help of a special prosthetic device. Um, On social media the next day, the ghost inside relayed the following message. The heartfelt statement accompanying a photo of the band and crew on stage. The 10, or in quotes... The 10, uh, limited, Limitless and Unbreakable. Going to take a very long time to process everything about uh, yesterday. Thank you to everyone that has been with us and supported us in any way. And thank you to every single person that has gathered with us last night to prove our life can swing hard, but you can swing harder. The ghost inside till we die. Uh, the one-night-only event sold out the 8,000-capacity uh, venue. Uh the Krang, Krang reported with frontman Jonathan vigil at one point uh proclaiming to the concert goers if we aren't the most loved band in the world it sure feels like it uh back in January it was reported that the ghost inside were working on new music although it's currently unclear if and when the band will perform live again I mean I, I just think that's awesome you know just the fact that they were able to overcome something like that it's just crazy
1: yeah it's like Def Leppard almost but the whole band
0: yeah exactly (laughs) like like dude (sighs) like if you ever get a chance like look it up like it was just it was a crazy crazy traumatic accident
1: I think against me got in a bad car accident at one point I think so too yeah I think someone left or something because of it probably I don't know if anyone died but I'm not I haven't heard about that story in years I forget but I remember they did get in like a pretty bad van or bus crash or something
0: yeah well yeah the, the Weezer they,
1: did too a couple of years ago they, they were in like upstate New York or in the northeast somewhere and their bus like flipped over R- Rivers like broke a leg or an arm or something wow yeah.
0: up fucking around those mountains you yeah. know it's just that's just crazy but us here at Rage Against the Mainstream are happy that the Ghost Insider back playing you know keeping their spirits alive and whatnot. Um, last thing we got here, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna take it back to one of the first few episodes. Uh Woodstock fifty loses its third venue appeal a month before the festival kickoff.
1: <laughs> you would think it would be not hard to get people to rally around a Woodstock anniversary concert. Yeah. Right. Like-
0: well, it's like we were saying before with like the acts and shit, like it's like to me it doesn't seem anything that would be worth you know trying to put any kind of energy towards i mean there's not even like a giant headlining act i mean the thing is it would be a totally different story if they had someone like even like the red hot chili peppers or someone headlining someone that's able to draw a giant crowd or even kanye west at that point like i'm pretty sure kanye would love to get on with the thing who
1: was the headliner
0: I don't remember. I know that there was. I think it was a two day, two day or three day event. But all the headliners were nobody like crazy. Yeah. Like I I know I'm pretty sure Cage the Elephant was on one of the dates. Yeah. Uh, Bring a crazy crowd. Yeah. Yeah. It's they they fucked up Woodstock 50. But um, right here it's saying the Woodstock 50 celebration loses another bid for a venue. Not only was the festival denied again by its desired destination, but. Their partner production company has also thrown in the towel. Uh, Virgin produced, the consulting company that worked with the Woodstock Revival, has officially ended its partnership with the festival. Billboard shared a statement that uh, Virgin produced has quotes, officially concluded its <laughs> consulting role with respect to the company and the proposed festi- festival. That's just nuts. Um, it's saying, the statement reads, given that the attempt, to secure permits with the town of Vernon, New York and related state agencies has been finally denied. Virgin Produced has concluded its advisory mandate and terminated its services agreement. Uh, Virgin Produced and its CEO Jason Feltz wish Woodstock and the be- Woodstock all the best in its future endeavors. The news of Virgin's withdrawal arrived soon after the festival was denied a permit for the third time. The Vernon, New York town planning planning board came to the decision opting to once again deny the permit like it that's like a sign like just stop like don't do it i mean it, it it's sucks. too late now yeah They're exactly not gonna be able to
1: put it together
0: it's like um you it's it almost seems like it's like uh the fire festival you remember that the thing that job ja rule was a part of
1: oh yeah that it was
0: only like, a deserted was- yeah. uh, uh mm. island in the bahamas and it wound up just being a total shit show i actually watched uh it was a documentary on hulu uh, a couple of nights ago it was called uh fire fraud
1: yeah. there's another
0: one on netflix that was really good but the fire fraud one on hulu gave like a little bit more insight into it and that's exactly what this seems like like just constantly getting hurdles thrown in your way and it's just like yeah. like just stop like you have enough time right now to pull out and have no problems
1: but i mean they should have got like Santana, who would definitely do it, yeah, plays at Woodstock every year still mm-hmm. um and anybody anybody else you can find who can possibly do it that was originally there, yeah, Credence, like any like of I mean John Fogarty get him or something, you know what I mean? I'm not like,
0: sure I, I'm pretty sure John Fogarty was a part of it, but he wasn't like one of like the big. Like out in like out in front like artists or performers.
1: You need like four or five alumni artists. You can even get Green Day and lump them in since they had such an iconic. Green Day still has a
0: huge fan base to this day. They could still draw people. Something.
1: Something. Like they're bringing on all these new artists that don't yeah. have giant fan bases, and people just like their songs, but they don't care enough to like sit there and listen to a, a go, show. Well, spend two hundred hours on it. Yeah, they're used they... to getting the shit for free. Exactly, and that yeah. was the thing
0: too. I, if I remember correctly, those tickets were expensive. Yeah, they were it like was crazy like two, expensive. Two, three,
1: four hundred dollars for like different types of passes. It's just
0: nuts. But, um, I mean, I would like to say I wish them the best, but. Just to keep the Woodstock name, you know, true and whatever kind of want it to not happen. You know,
1: <laughs> I want it to happen, but I want it to be good. Yeah, exactly. And not too expensive. And if they can't do that, then, yeah, no, don't do it.
0: Yeah, there's no point at that. You know, at that point, you're kind of defeating the whole purpose of what Woodstock originally was.
1: Well, and if you fuck up a Woodstock, it makes it harder to do it again. Exactly. And I've and been there. It's going cool to lose all credibility. Concerts.
0: Yeah, and that that's the thing, though. It would just lose all credibility. Like, you look at all the best ones, like 69, 94, 99.
1: They were all bangers, every one of them.
0: They had huge turnouts. Yeah,
1: like 99 had, like, Rage Against the Machine, the Chili yeah. Peppers, like Limp Bizkit. Like Metallica. All Metallica, all the biggest fucking bands in the world were there. If
0: I remember correctly, I think Metallica... Headline Woodstock 99
1: 94 was like Green Day Nine Inch Nails Metallica again Metallica like it was just it, Addition, it was huge or not for Pyros yeah
0: um Rollins Band um, I believe
1: yeah tons of great big yeah bands
0: and you know at that but at that point though it gained them the credibility that they needed yeah and you know and they're gonna go from you know having Woodstock 99 well which at the time and still is one of the most notorious concerts ever but you're going to have that as like your standard point and then put on something that's like totally lackluster. Like, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's sad that they're tarnishing the name like that. And, you know, I just wish they were able to do something that was more like true to the original, like even have like dead and company or something like ha- have something. Yeah. I mean, shit at this point we can, we'd settle for like a hologram
1: if they if they did a hologram original woodstock concert where it was literally the whole woodstock concert hologram yeah two or three day festival i wouldn't go no i've I've been able to watch the fucking movie (laughs) decades (laughs) it's funny all
0: right we're gonna take this we're gonna take this into our main topic um you guys heard it before when it was just me and Steve, the one the one episode we did uh, music that was close to us, which was influential metal bands. And now since Steve's not here, we can expand on music that me and you both very enjoy, Connor Grunge. Grunge. So I guess what do you think is a good starting point for this?
1: Uh, I guess 1991. That's when it started for pretty much everybody facelift 10 um yeah bad motor finger yeah another one yeah it's uh, <laughs> never I, mind never mind <laughs> the, um, you
0: know the, the the big you know that one album yeah. by that band
1: <laughs> um yeah i mean rock music had a huge audience still in 1991 but had grown stale
0: Yeah, exactly. Everyone got tired of hairspray or they couldn't breathe from the hairspray anymore.
1: (laughs) Well, there was just no realism in rock anymore. It was all just party, party, party. Yeah, exactly. Girls, girls, girls. And it's just it's kind of crazy that
0: like there's there was like one particular city in North America that was like a brewing ground for this you know, new type of music that was entirely different than anything else that was around at that point. Seattle was
1: perfect for it because it yeah. was a big city and there was a lot of people in it comparatively to most cities in America, but it wasn't like a Philly or, or LA or New York or anything where it was bigger and you can get kind of drowned out. Like exactly the scene that was there was the scene that was there and then mm-hmm. i just kind of rolled with it.
0: And I feel like the like the climate of Seattle was also a huge like contributing factor, because like it's always rainy and like shitty there and whatever. So you really had nothing to do but to practice or write, yeah, and record. That's what you know. Like most of these bands had already had albums out and everything. I mean, like oh, yeah, even like 91. Pearl Jam was you know Mother Love Bone at the time, and Soundgarden had been doing shit since the
1: eighties. Alice in Chains was the only band that hadn't had albums out yeah exactly um yeah 1991 facelift and you know Pearl Jam didn't have that was their first album but they had done Mother Love Bone they had Green River Temple the Dog uh Temple the Dog yeah Yeah. um Soundgarden had that Bad Motorfinger was their third album
0: yeah um well, what did they put out before that? It was Louder Than Love.
1: Was their second album, and then Ultra Mega Okay was their first album. Okay, and then they even had two EPs as well: Screaming Life and Fop.
0: That was the thing, you know, and it being so close to Chris Cornell's birthday, you know, we had to give them an honorable mention. Soundgarden. I mean, not that you could talk about grunge without talking about Soundgarden, but it—he was—he was just a songwriter, dude. He was just good at what he did. And he was just pumping shit out.
1: Super Unknown for me is right up there with anything. Yeah. Yeah. Super Unknown is.
0: Super Unknown is probably my favorite Soundgarden album.
1: Easily. For me, I think it is as well. And the thing I love about Soundgarden is everything came together for them at the same time in a way that it doesn't usually. For exactly. Like they became their best, their most catchy and their weirdest on super unknown
0: yeah like you hear like black hole sun and there's like shit in the background and like you know random ass leads that like taking out of context doesn't make sense and it was just it was like the perfect storm for them i agree 100 percent. it was just good and like you think about everything else that came out at that time like facelift like the you know grunge explodes
1: current for super unknown was it it was from. It was two years old. They were working. Oh. The jar of flies was like about to come out, and Super Unknown came out. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was different.
0: Yeah, and it, I think what made it so interesting and you know drew so many people to it was because of the music that was so popular at the time poison motley crew warren like you hear like interviews with a lot of these bands and all almost every one of them say or talk some shit about poison or warrant or rat,
1: rat yeah and it's like bon jovi yeah, yeah exactly
0: and it's just it's just one of those things where like the like the The general population was finally listened to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it it was like it was music for the people by the people. It was almost like another like Bruce Springsteen type deal. And it
1: was it was the people in these bands were so authentic that they basically sabotaged their own success all across the board. Yeah. Um. Uh. Nirvana did in Utero, and then Kurt Cobain died, and Mm -hmm. they were done. Um. Alice and Chains did self titled Alice in Chains and Chains pretty much petered out shortly yeah. after, yeah. Nirvana dying out. And then I mean, Soundgarden did one more album after Super Unknown, which was good, but it wasn't mm-hmm. as big of a success. No. Um and then as they, Super Unknown.
0: Then they died out until King Animal. Yeah, they that,
1: broke up for over a decade. Yeah, when did audio. that come out?
0: Nine uh, two thousand eleven King Animal came out?
1: Somewhere around. Yeah, there. it was in the twenty tens. Yeah. Um Pearl Jam's the only one that didn't really break up
0: or Pearl anything. Jam's the
1: only one that never stopped. Yeah. But they're
0: they also kind of like almost like uh they I don't could. want to say sold out to an extent, but they have now, I'd yeah. say
1: honestly. Their last after two, the target their last, thing. Yeah, their last two albums have been they could do better, clearly. Yeah. I um, mean,
0: like I thought the fixer was a good song, but
1: Yeah, no, there's good songs scattered throughout, but Pearl Jam used to be great
0: i actually never even gave lightning bolt a listen
1: i've listened to it in dribs and drabs on youtube yeah and i have that's the only pearl jam album that i really can't find a song that really
0: i like is that the only pearl jam album you don't own
1: yeah really yeah that says something like i i think they honestly should have probably broken up after the the self-titled album you think so avocado that was their last uh true effort like if they would have broken up after that everything they would have done after their big albums would would have gotten more second craze. looks by now yeah and people would have appreciated them more than they do like i do like i like uh i like all their albums until the self-titled binaural no code all the ones that a lot of people don't like yeah um, Ride act even um, i mean
0: and plus like the Obviously, like the three huge ones versus Vitology and Ten.
1: But yeah, but backspacer, honestly, I'll t- ride act is honestly like just as good as Vitalogy. It's like a similar album. Is it? And um, it's like it's almost like Vitology too. Literally, hmm. it's like ten years later. Um, maybe like eight or nine years later. But um, it's got that same feel. Where it's like weirder, it's on the weirder side, Pearl Jam. Yeah. I mean, they kind of got like that, though. Um, Well, they got
0: experimental with it because. Yeah,
1: Vitology was experimental, No Code Mm -hmm. was more experimental, and then they kind of kicked back with the experiments on yield and kind of try to go back to like the 10 sound a little bit well i think
0: because at that point in time like grunge had died out like grunge wasn't really a thing anymore and it was like post grunge and then now all of a sudden there's like a resurgence of this music again
1: well i think they got spooked on no code a little bit yeah um i think they thought they could just keep doing whatever the hell they wanted and they were going to keep selling crazy yeah. amounts of albums and as time goes on and you don't make with the hits yeah it dwindles like Versus sold like 950,000 copies in the first week, their first or their second album, the first one after 10. Yeah. And their next one, Vitalogy sold... Like nine hundred thousand, still huge. Yeah, and then No Code only sold like three hundred thousand in its first oh, week. Oh shit, which is still big. Yeah, but, but compared to not almost a million. Yeah, obviously it's a major, major drop off. Like I mean they they all went they all went platinum. Right, are all over five times platinum, and yeah. No Code's only one times platinum.
0: Yeah, well, I mean at least it's they still they haven't platinum. gone
1: multi platinum since Phytology.
0: Well, I don't feel like there's really been any band that's gone multi platinum since you know like the oh, late 90s
1: since, well Vitology was 94 there's plenty of bands yeah, I mean, 90s. like the late night
0: like into like after grunge you know
1: what i mean i'll put it this way the pearl jam since Vitology has not outsold the color and the shape by food fighters really yeah which was not a crazy selling album
0: what do you think about food fighters would you like considering the fact that self titled
1: the first album's pretty grungy yeah i agree i, I so, I mean none of these bands want to be called grunge. But, yeah, exactly. They've all um, made
0: it very clear that they hate that term grunge that it's not, you know, the music and it's more of like a fashion thing or like a a cultural thing. Yeah.
1: But the first album shares a lot in common with Nirvana and yeah. all the, some of the other grunge bands. Like you
0: like you hear songs like Good Grief and yeah. you know like Watershed and stuff like that and it's it's very it's very apparent that Dave still had it in him. It's just yeah. unfortunate it didn't I, I carry still, on. Around. Yeah. Like even even songs like Big Me, I mean, like it it was a softer song, but it still like held sort of like that that yeah.
1: idea. I mean it could have been like Vaselines inspired or something, which they were yeah. by no means grunge, but mm-hmm. I mean they helped uh, give Kirk O'Bain a key ingredient to help formulate his brand of grunge. Yeah, exactly. Which was simplicity and poppiness, mm-hmm. you know, simple pop.
0: Now, what do y- I don't know? Like, what what do you consider grunge to be? Like, I yeah,
1: mean, <laughs> um, grunge. If you're gonna try and nail it down, musical wise, mm-hmm. um, quiet loud. M- and quiet versus loud choruses um and uh realness in the lyrics not even kind of like really to me that's kind of all it is is quiet verses and loud uh choruses and like punk metal yeah punk punk and metal with more pop than either of those in in the mix
0: now i feel like i i don't know i feel like alice in chains even though that it's like sort of they're most they're more metal than they are grunge i i feel like lane staley was what made that band like grunge like you know what i mean like i feel like yeah, if lane if staley wasn't a singer it would have been a metal most
1: band. other singers and at that time mm-hmm. that they could have got they would have ended up a lot more metal and a lot less yeah. alternative
0: it, it was just one of those things i mean i feel like I feel like with grunge, you like in order for a band to be quote unquote grunge, you need to have a singer that can stand out above anybody else, and e- either that being you know like a really good like heartfelt songwriter or lyricist, or just somebody over the top able to sing like Chris Cornell or Elaine Staley, or even like an iconic voice like Kirk Cobain or Eddie Vedder. I mean like you think about like you think about bands that came out after that and like the post grunge thing everybody copied those grunge bands mm-hmm. like like the vocalists like i mean like you hear like Scott Stapp from Creed like he sounds like Eddie Vedder or tries to sound like Eddie oh, Vedder yeah. you know and it's just like one of those things That's why where most
1: people don't like Creed yeah. because he <laughs> deliberately tries to steal things that Eddie Vedder did better <laughs>
0: I mean I I don't mind Creed. I'm not going to be that guy that's like, I fucking love Creed. Creed's the fucking shit. But there's a few songs that they have that I really don't mind that I do enjoy. But I'm not going to. Actually, you know what? I feel like I can say this kind of shit because Steve's not fucking here. I enjoy Creed's music. <laughs> I I think, well, I mean, we're going to get off topic here with Creed. But I mean,
1: I feel like it does kind of fit in with the grunge topic. It does. I the graveyard of grunge era. <laughs> the oblivion bin of grunge. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I I feel like what made Creed different was the guitars and shit. Like Mark Tremonti's a really good guitar player and he's more metal influenced than anything. I feel like what everyone's main bag is with Creed is Scott Stapp. If yeah. Scott Stapp wasn't the singer, it would they they would have a totally different, you know, perception. I feel like people would
1: like them more
0: if Scott Stapp was I didn't Stapp like their so
1: vague it. Christian rock brand. I didn't yeah. like Scott Stapp. Now, have
0: you ever have you ever listened to Alter Bridge?
1: I've heard a song or two here and there. It's also not my thing. It yeah. doesn't have Scott Stapp. I'm yeah, it doesn't yeah, have I Scott still Stapp. I don't like it. <laughs>
0: but, um...
1: If I want, like, post-grunge, I'm going to Bush 16 Stone. That's my yeah. go-to for, well, like...
0: What about Stone Telepilots?
1: Uh... I like songs but I don't own any of their music. Yeah, me point. either. Um I could t- I could pretty much take them or leave them.
0: Yeah. I I definitely like core.
1: I like purple a lot. Um yeah, I had Purple when I was a kid. I don't know what ha- happened to it. Um and I had the greatest hits. Yeah. So, I mean, I liked I liked Purple. And there was songs from their next couple albums that I liked that were on the greatest hits, like Sour Girl and Trippin' yeah. on a Hole and a Paper Heart. But some of their shit is bad. Like, yeah. Um, I didn't like the latest. Big stuff. Bang Baby. Yeah, it wasn't that, bad song that. That, that song sucks. That song is a blatant ripoff of Jumpin' Jack Flash. Like Jumpin' Jack Flash yeah. goes Jumpin' Jack Flash, it's a gas, gas, gas. Mm-hmm. And then Big Bang Baby goes like Big Bang Baby, it's a like tass, yeah tass, tass. Like it's the same <laughs> thing and... well
0: it's almost like the offspring with um um that uh why don't you get a job song oh, yeah. and then like oble de,
1: oble da. oh yeah it,
0: that's like a blatant ripoff too what it... about the offspring they mm, i mean i don't they think were like probably
1: the most grungy of the pop punk california bands but yeah. I again, I liked Offspring just fine when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. but uh, I could take them or leave them now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I unloaded all my Offspring CDs a while ago.
0: I never, I never fully got into the Offspring. I mean, like, there's like the select songs that everyone knows, everyone
1: likes. Yeah, Gone Away is all right. Um, keep them separated. Yeah, come out and play. Yeah.
0: uh what's the other? pretty fly self-esteem. for a white guy self-esteem yeah, I, d- I do, mean, I do like self-esteem tracks, but my friend's got a girlfriend and he hates that bitch like <laughs> i just thought that was so cool <laughs> yeah. um going back to alice and chains for a second i i mean i mean we did the poll on facebook and i believe the it believe was tied the, yeah i believe it was tied yeah I mean, I I feel like Alice in Chains was one of those bands that were able to, like, overcome the the whole like grunge deal, and then I mean, obviously they're one of the only few to survive grunge, if you yeah, will. But in you got to
1: think with Nirvana's unplugged, though, man, that was like, yeah, the visual aspect, the whole thing, man. Like, that's true. Kurt Cobain, if he did kill himself, that he made that like his funeral, like he got he. That's true. He got them to bring flowers out, like, from, like, lilies for funerals. Like... Oh, shit, for real? He did all this extra shit to, like, he brought the meat puppets on. Like, this was all shit that no one had done before on Unplugged. Now... Um, He did all those covers. Like, MTV almost... If if Nirvana wasn't Nirvana, MTV would have pulled the plug on that Unplugged long before it got taped. That's crazy. Because they were doing so much wacky shit. (laughs) Um, When they got done with Where Did You Sleep Last Night... The MTV producer Alex Colletti begged Kirk O'Bain, "Dude, you got to get back out there. Like they're going crazy for you." Yeah, and he was like, "I can't top that." He's like, "He's like that was it, man."
0: I do, I do very, very enjoy that song, like a lot,
1: like yeah, well, that. Yeah, that's like,
0: like, that shit makes the hair stand up on like the back of my neck. Like it's a really, really good cover. I don't know. I just and to think that it's live. Yeah, I. Well, that's the thing, though. No one can ever take that away from Nirvana that they're
1: they were just an extraordinary band. Like what band. on Allison Chains unplugged? Beats. Where did you sleep last night?
0: The only thing I would say that you could probably put in the same ballpark is maybe them opening with Nutshell, but but that wasn't that wasn't as like dynamic as that. I mean i I think what I think what makes Allison Chains unplugged seem so much better to me was that they had gone away for such a long time, and this was their first appearance in God knows how long. And, I mean, it just so happened to be, I think it was one of their last performances. Nirvana
1: was, like, just kicking off the In Utero tour. Oh, yeah. And it was one of the first dates, and they didn't rehearse. They they rehearsed for, like, two hours or something for Unplugged, and it was a total failure. That's and that, They <laughs> thought they were going to have to cut it like during the performance they were like this might not get aired like it might be so bad that we can't put it out that's crazy um yeah
0: i feel like one of these days we have to do a topic on like the mtv unplugged series yeah. like and like go over like clapton go over pearl jam
1: yeah i was never a big fan of eric Clapton's unplugged
0: i i mean i thought it was all right i like eric clapton as a guitar player but like yeah, see me nah there's I'm not, reports I'm not a big clapton fan well, there's report. Well, you know, people say that besides Nirvana's Unplugged, that Eric Clapton's is the best Unplugged.
1: They say that because he reworked his shit. Yeah, and they give him all this extra credit for that. But if you're listen if you just want an album that you'll enjoy and mm-hmm. it's good to listen to, for me, it's not Eric Clapton Unplugged. It's, <laughs> it's boring. So.
0: I think it's kind of funny that it always gets brought up to Alice in Chains or Nirvana's Unplugged and everyone forgets Pearl Jams. That was Pearl like James. the big
1: Unplugged. That was like yeah. the, that was like the Unplugged album that put them on the map with that show.
0: Yeah, but like no that one ever like mentions Diamond. Pearl
1: Jams. Pearl Jams never got put on a CD. It never did? Nah.
0: Oh, wow. That was a kick in the nuts because that it was right at 10. It is a right kick in the
1: 10. nuts considering they've released like fucking a thousand live shows on CDs.
0: Yeah. And it, it kind of makes you wonder like if MTV's like withholding that because it was technically their show.
1: I think their set list might have been short or something. Like it did it it wasn't long enough for because they did that after their first album.
0: Well Pearl Jams 10 says that they weren't even like prepared for that at all. Yeah. Like, they were, like, it was, like, sort of, like, a last-minute thing.
1: You mean tw- Pearl Jam 20?
0: Yeah, and, P yeah, what did
1: I say, 10? Yeah. Yeah,
0: P- and PJ 20, like, they basically say, like, we were not ready for this at
1: all. Yeah. Like, it was I, just
0: sprung on
1: them. I haven't seen it in years. I remember they did really well, mm-hmm. but I don't, I feel like they played, like, six to eight maybe nine songs or something there might have been like a one cover yeah and then, yeah
0: i feel like if pearl jam were to do it
1: now it would probably be like insanely good Could it would probably be crazy good oh yeah if they did it, if they tried to do like a 15 song unplugged set now it would be really good yeah they they would probably only do like one song from fucking 10 yeah because 10 doesn't really fit acoustic
0: i maybe what they would do is like black maybe
1: Probably black. Yeah, well, I, I've always liked that. They could like end on black, literally.
0: Yeah, that and maybe maybe Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy would probably. Well, Jeremy was a good unplugged song, mm. but uh, like it's you know with ten most of the songs were like, extremely aggressive. Like yeah. a lot of that, a lot of that album was. Besides, you of, don't even realize
1: it, but it is a very very yeah. aggressive driving album. Yeah. Yeah,
0: like you have to think about what they were doing right before ten and. You know, even after well, it's almost like after ten they got more and more tame and everything. But you know, between like Mother Love Bone, Temple of the Dog, and then ten, like it was, it was aggressive. Like it all was. But um,
1: what's your favorite pre ninety one burst of grunge greatness? Grunge album?
0: Probably Louder Than Love.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I actually now I'm gonna take that back. I, I like Bleach. Yeah, I like Bleach a lot. Yeah, I mean. Like, Bleach might be, like, my, it, it might, I think I might, nah, I definitely like never mind more than Bleach, but Bleach, for me, is above in utero. Yeah. Easily.
1: Um, yeah, it's tough. I'm trying to think of mine, and I guess it would probably have to be Bleach, if I'm being honest. It's definitely the pre-91 grunge album I've listened to the most.
0: Yeah, and and I I think it's the heaviest.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I like that, and the runner-up is probably Ultra Mega Okay by Soundgarden, their first album. Yeah, I actually, I actually prefer that to Louder Than Love. Um, really? Yeah, there's some really good stuff on that, and hmm. louder, Louder Than Love. There's good stuff on it. It's really good, but the production on it i don't like and that kind of hurts it for me it 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 sounds their production of,
0: it, it sounds dated yeah like you know it kind of sounds like the same production that was on like mother love bone
1: yeah like it just
0: sounds like an album that came out in the 80s
1: yeah it's too tinny
0: yeah it's unfortunate but
1: yeah um i'm not sure if they remastered that i know they did ultra mega okay and i kind of prefer the original yeah um yeah
0: you know, and this is one thing, too, I, I wanted to bring up.
1: When they remaster shit and don't do it
0: right. Exactly. Yeah. that That's something we definitely have to discuss on another topic, yeah, on another episode. Yeah, yeah, that's something I definitely want Steven here for, or somebody that, you know, is like an album listener. But speaking of albums, I wanted to bring this up, too. I feel like with grunge, dude, it also brought into a new form of, like, producing. Like, it's kind of like producing like got into this like real like computerized like you know like drums were like gated and everything was real compressed and then grunge happened dude and it kind of took a step back into like the 70s like when you think about bands like Led Zeppelin. They everything loud again. Yeah like you had like big ass drums and like crazy loud guitars and like everything was just like there was like almost like the like uh, like an audio dude you have like a ceiling Mm -hmm. it's almost like the ceiling was just like sky high and it was just like anything went.
1: It was the same thing with like Oasis,
0: yeah, exactly, yeah, it brings us into our suggestion from last week, which was the documentary oasis supersonic um it was a documentary about the band oasis, um from the humble beginnings of the band until their breakup. It wasn't bad. I enjoyed the movie, it. I definitely enjoyed it. I'm not I mean, a big
1: Oasis fan, but no. Yeah, I was when I was a kid, but and I used to kind of stick up for their first album, but now it's kind of just like I stick up for like what's the story three, three now nah, three to five songs. Oh uh, yeah,
0: I I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say I put this in like the same realm as like PJ Twenty or Back nah, and Forth at all. Not, yeah, it's definitely a pretty decent watch. I mean, I think it's better than last week's recommendation, some kind of monster. But (laughs) it's not; it's definitely not a movie like Back and Forth or or PJ Twenty. I mean, it's cool that they're able to go through, you know, go through the years and everything, and they had all the band members involved that were, you know, able to give their comments or two cents in it, and they had a lot of footage too. But it was—I don't know—it it wasn't executed very well. Yeah. Um. It's crazy the amount of drug usage though within that band. I that that caught me by surprise.
1: Yeah, like I had no idea meth. they were on crystal meth.
0: Yeah, like that's crazy. And like the Whiskey a Go Go, like me and you were talking about it earlier. Yeah, when they're like, all
1: on stage playing different songs <laughs> and yeah. It's funny though because Noel when you're flew watching home it after. Yeah. It's thought the band was like done and bloated. It's just it's crazy,
0: but like watching that footage from the Whiskey a Go Go, it didn't sound bad. Like I mean, like you could tell they were playing different songs, but it didn't sound like horrible. It was just weird. Well,
1: the the brothers were playing the same song. Yeah, the guitarist and the singer, and it yeah, it would have became more apparent as the song went on. I'm sure they mixed oh, it pretty quick. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, it's funny. But back to what we were talking about with production, mm-hmm. um, Oasis tried to record their first album like two or three times, yeah. With uh, the all the people that were working with My Bloody Valentine, who most people hold up as like crea- you know, Creation Records, like Alan yeah. McGee, like most people say, My Bloody Valentine, Loveless is like the best produced album of the '90s, yeah. Most innovative production. And then here they are like fucking six months later with this classic rock band and they can't figure out how to make them sound good. I thought <laughs> that was funny.
0: I thought it was funny too how they use their sound guy as like the engineer and like they tried to record the album live and everyone was just, everyone was like, this is total shit. I mean, it, it's crazy Well, though. they had to.
1: Yeah. If you're going to be a rock and roll band like that where you're just straight up rock and roll. It needs to sound energetic. Yeah, and exactly. If you're gonna overdub everything with a click track and have everything be perfect. It's not gonna be like that. Exactly.
0: That like, well, that's the thing with rock and roll music. Nothing is perfect.
1: You have it, to at least get the the drums and like the bass together or something. Like, yeah, you, like they have to be synced up. Like, in a yeah, like, exactly. I agree. You get those little before the note, behind the note, like slightly like that. Just makes it feel like. Like if somebody's playing it like and it's not programmed. It. Yeah, and it wasn't just a human that programmed themselves to play this perfectly. Well, yeah. Which is
0: actually funny because um, uh, Liam, I think, no, uh, Noah said, uh, it was like an interview that he was doing in the movie and they said something about like people being replaceable and he like brought up the drummer and he's like, I'd rather just have a fucking computer drummer. You don't have to pay him. You don't need to give him girls. You don't need to give him drugs. When the show's over, you just throw him in the back of the fucking van, and it's over with. I thought that was kind of well, funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Gallagher brothers are kind yeah. of famous assholes. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's, that's the truth. Like, that's kind of what I got from this. And I mean,
1: they're like the British Axl Rose brothers. Yeah, <laughs> that's like what they are. And I mean,
0: uh, and it's funny too, because like Noah Gallagher is like the this was his brainchild. Like this was like his band like he he's kind of like the be all end all of it and i mean you know from what oasis has put out he's kind of like a like a songwriting genius i mean i'm not gonna put him up there in the likes of like mccartney and lennon but he's he's pretty good or was pretty good
1: yeah he's good i mean he writes like the most typical songs you could imagine for a white dude from britain to write but <laughs> he's good yeah um yeah no like i don't know like i grew up on them i liked them when i was a kid but they they rarely find their way back into my rotation i like some. Of Noel, i like that song no gallagher did a couple years ago that if i had a gone
0: oh yeah you showed me that i like that
1: yeah so i mean they do all right sometimes, but I feel like they generally uh ripped off the Beatles too much. Yeah. And uh weren't they didn't innovate. I agree. They yeah. they're like the they're like the Ramones are like the A C D C of Brit Pop, but Brit Pop is already like a, uh derivative genre. Yeah. Like Ramones and A C D C were at least doing something new when they started and they never really changed up the game.
0: Yeah, exactly. But
1: um oasis is like that but they were already do- they were doing shit mad people already did yeah <laughs> so it was like okay
0: now um pretty much these ratings here uh rotten tomatoes gave it 83 um rotten tomatoes audience score was an 87 and imdb gave it a 7.9 out of 10 do you find these reviews or you know the ratings to be credible
1: uh i'd probably give it like 6.5 out of 10
0: yeah i I think i'd do the same thing 6.5 or 7 i wouldn't go much higher than that yeah um it definitely wasn't the worst movie that we've recommended to watch
1: to me a 6 to 7 a 5 is like if you're a fan you'll enjoy it Mm. a 6 to 7 is like if you're not a fan you'll just barely enjoy it and i like yeah. I enjoyed it a little bit, but I was paying bad. attention a lot and mm-hmm. yada, I found yada, myself yada. looking at my phone. It, yeah.
0: I kinda it, I wasn't as disinterested as I was with fucking remastered Devil at the Crossroads, but <laughs> 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 but yeah, like, it, it was just one of those things where you could just drop out and come back in and it's like, Oh, okay, the story's still going.
1: Well and not for nothing but I kinda feel like there's not much too interesting to tell. No. After the first two albums, yeah, they just kinda maybe yeah. recording the third album, yeah, but the third album's famous for selling more copies than any other album had sold in a day, like it sold like five hundred thousand copies in Britain in one day in one day. that's insane, yeah, that... when you think Pearl Jam sold out nine hundred and fifty in a week, yeah, in the United States, yeah, they literally did half of that in one day. In Britain instead of the United States, which is like <laughs> a twentieth the size of the United States, that's crazy. There's only like I don't know the exact number, but there's definitely probably under like fifty million people in Britain, and there's three hundred here. That's wild. So like yeah, for them that, to sell that speaks almost five hundred thousand, like it went platinum is three hundred thousand in yeah. the UK. So it went platinum in like a day, <laughs> under twenty four hours. <laughs> it, it probably literally went silver and gold and. Hours. I think I think silver is 100,000 and gold's like 150,000.
0: It probably went it probably went silver in an hour.
1: Yeah, like Look, before the, the shipment was even out like or in the stores like That's crazy.
0: Um but then
1: like... that album just imploded. Like that was where <laughs> they like it had a de- couple decent songs on it but people just didn't fuck with it as much as the other ones.
0: I feel like I have to. I have to give. Do
1: you know what I mean? And all around the world on it, and don't go away. Oh, okay, yeah. Don't go
0: away. I feel like I need to give them like a legitimate shot. I mean it.
1: But All Around the World was a song they wrote like around their first album. Yeah. And it was like a good little two or three minute pop song. Yeah. And they
0: documented that in the movie too.
1: And then when they made Be Here Now, they decided to stretch it to like 11 minutes and try and turn it into like a fucking Hey Jude type thing. (laughs) And it like did not need to be like 10 or 11 minutes long.
0: No. Um, let's see the reviews here. Adam Grant from the Detroit news says supersonic captures the madness of Oasis from an insider's perspective. I think that's about all right. That's true. Um, Isaac Guzman from time magazine says it captures the essential, the essential cheek unbridled power chords and thundering rhythm section that make for an arena or an arena worthy band. All right. Um, Jeff Albertson from the Seattle Times Says offers a nostalgic Glimpse back at a band that made lasting Music and enjoyed massive success Despite its own drug abuse And malfunction Makes sense Yeah (laughs) Our group suggestion This week is to check out the 1998 Documentary Slash rockumentary Kurt and Courtney Um, That's available on Netflix and uh yeah we'll review it next week all right so what would your personal suggestion be this week connor
1: i'm gonna take Redman's first album what the album Nice. Um, if you if you want to sample it and just check out one track first single was blow your mind that's a, that's a good starting point um yeah i picked it up for a couple dollars i saw it somewhere and gave it a shot and i was i was pretty impressed i had never really dived into Redman too heavy but um He's Wu-Tang's first cousin, basically, so (laughs) definitely worth a listen.
0: That's awesome. Uh, My suggestion this week is the 2009 album by the American death slash grindcore band Job for a Cowboy. The album in question is Ruination, and the song that I would suggest is the title track, Ruination. Um. It's their. It says it's their their second studio album, but it's actually their third release. They had the Doom EP that came out, I believe, that was in like two thousand seven, two thousand six, and um, it's for those of you that are going to think that it's some easy listening
1: cowboy music. Are they still going, Job for a Cowboy?
0: I believe they broke up. Oh, really? Um, they were hoping to uh release music in twenty seventeen, but the basically they just broke up and started another band, but I mean, it doesn't say the job Cowboys done. It just says in 2019 frontman, Johnny Davy and guitarist, Al Glassman and Tony, uh, San can, Sanny e. Candero formed a new group called serpent of gnosis alongside black Daddy murders bassist and deeds of flesh drummer. So yeah, I guess job for Cowboys done, but, um, Ruination is definitely a pretty good album. It's definitely worth listening to. And like I said before, if you guys are thinking this is going to be some easy listening country shit, you are
1: sorely mistaken. That's probably a hard band to keep up for a long time. Oh, my God. Could you imagine?
0: No. Like, that. that's why I don't play that kind of music. <laughs> I mean, like, even, I mean, obviously, besides, like, the, the vocals and everything, but, like, uh, could you imagine trying to, like, drum and, like, do, like, the blast beats and shit for you know like a 30 45 minute set yeah. every night that'd be crazy I there's no longevity in that i can't do those beats like it's just it's just nuts i mean there's guys that do it but like i couldn't imagine being in a band like that all right guys well that one wraps it up for this week make sure you let us know in our facebook page instagram comments tell us what you think would you prefer to have me and connor on another, on another episode by ourselves do you miss steve do you want steve back Let us know. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off.
1: Steve's dead. He's locked in my basement.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is Bill.
1: And Connor.
0: Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.